Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Education Foundation podcast number 24. This podcast will feature Kelly Taylor, co-founder of Lexington-based Trek Advancement, along with Catholic Education Foundation President Rich Lecklider. How are we doing today? Great. Thanks, Steve. We're doing awesome. Thanks. Good to see you, Kelly. Thank you. Thank you guys for being here. And, and Rich, so we talked yesterday. So the, the title of this podcast is Tax Advantage Charitable Giving Strategies That You Should Know. Now, Kelly's an expert. Yes, that's why she's here. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly's an expert. So if you're listening to this podcast, we're going to give you all kinds of awesome things, awesome ways to really make an impact at the end of the year, right, Kelly? Absolutely. Okay, but before we get there, let's let's start with some housekeeping things. So, um, it, it's so good of you to join us. Uh, let's start the conversation by letting the our, our listeners know get to get to know you a little bit. So, tell sure. us about yourself. Well, I think first thing to know about me is I am an activator. I'm all like, this is what you want to do. Let's let's get it done, right? I think the yep. second important thing as it pertains to our podcast today is that I'm a plan giving nerd. How long do we have for this podcast? Yeah, well, hey, <laughs> I, I, listen, I can relate to that. I'm kind of a sports nerd, so and I, and I say I that all the time. I talk for days. So, as well, hey, that's why you're here. That's why you're the expert. So, let's, <laughs> let's dive into it. Let's go. Love it. Um, Kelly, so how did you get started in the nonprofit world and what attracted you to it? I heard you say law school. Uh-huh. So, obviously, yeah. you took a little bit of a detour here. Well, kind of. I'll okay. tell you about that. All right. Yeah. So I think it started, well, I know it started when I was an undergraduate at University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And my mom was a professor at University of Kentucky. So I kind of grew up in that higher education environment. Okay. And one of my sorority sisters said, hey, Kelly, you should check out this organization called Student Development Council. I had no idea what that meant. Right. But I did. I joined and learned about the importance of development, fundraising, and the role of a nonprofit organization, okay, albeit a large nonprofit, the right. University of Kentucky. Right. And I interned in the office. I was basically, you know, ran errands, but I learned about plan giving there. Okay. And I always wanted to go to law school, but I was really intrigued by this idea of utilizing tax advantage giving, Makes charitable sense. gift planning. Um, so I went to law school knowing I wanted to do plan giving, okay. which is kind of an anomaly, actually. It is an anomaly. How about that? <laughs> I went to law school all the way here in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. I went all the way from Lexington right. to Louisville. Right. And, University um, of Louisville? University of Louisville. Okay. Yeah. Right. And uh, did a, a, a special course on tax aspects of charitable giving. Okay. So when I went to go get a job, I could tell people why I went to law school yeah, and what sure. I wanted to do. Sure. So that kind of took me into higher education. Okay. And I started my career at Harvard University and got to work Not in... Not a bad place to start. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good gig, actually. <laughs> my, first, my first I was, job. <laughs> I was Kelly from Kentucky. All right, I'll bet. And because uh, I was you, the only did person... Did you have an accent when you were there? Did people act like, hey, man, she has a southern accent? No, they would say, you don't have an accent. Okay, and I was kind of upset because I, I was born and You're raised like, here. Hey, I, I, I know, I thought okay. I had an accent. <laughs> uh, but no, everyone knew me as Kelly from Kentucky because I was a bit of an anomaly. And um, I got to work in charitable gift planning there. And it okay. was like the master class. Okay. And from there, moved back to Kentucky right. and started, I worked at University of Louisville, Brown mm-hmm. Cancer Center, also as the interim plan giving director for the university and met my now business partner. And we decided, hey, we should, we should make this happen. 
Awesome. Yeah. And so the, kind of the rest is history. And the you guys rest are doing extremely you, well you, with it, right? Yeah. yeah. When did yeah. you guys start Trek? It'll be 14 years in January. Wow, 14. I know. Congratulations. Thanks. Fantastic. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it. <laughs> Rich, how did the foundation end up connecting with Kelly and Trek? Yeah, we were looking to kind of launch into another stratosphere, if you will, in terms of our giving, plan giving, uh, endowment building, mm-hmm. uh, because we we spent a long time and we worked very hard on current needs, how to fill the bill for today, yep. right? how to fund our kids next fall. And, that, and that, that's been consuming for many, many years. And with the growth that we had over the last 10 years, that was that was a tall order to keep up with. Mm-hmm. So we didn't spend really any time with our donors about plan giving. I mean, we couldn't even spell it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we needed somebody to to bring about kind of a bring in house a structure by which we could learn how to do that and make that part of our MO every day. Sure. And we had heard about Kelly and Brooks through Charlie Dollum, our okay. former board chair. Sure. Charlie's who, been on our podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And Charlie Charlie chaired the um uh, the campaign at Hospice here in yeah. Louisville and you were you were a consultant to that yeah. organization very successfully by the way. And we didn't really know who to contact in Louisville and he he mentioned hey you guys ought to meet the folks from Trek, and we did, and we—I think we kind of hit it off instantly. Awesome, and and that was about f- almost four years ago. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we've been steadily building uh, our resources at the foundation, and we'll talk a little bit later about the strategy around that. But uh, they've been a fantastic addition to our team. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Kelly, what are some of the organizations that Trek has assisted? So, as Rich mentioned, we have several clients here in Louisville. We have clients in Lexington as well, but we have clients all over the country. I would say, obviously, foundations. Mm -hmm. So, much like Catholic Education Foundation that raises money, our grant makers, we have several of those types of organizations that we work with, whether they be member organization foundations or community foundations. Uh, We have a, a... a pretty large portfolio in that space. Okay. Uh, we have some clients in the higher education space all doing right. campaigns. Yep. Uh, we have had clients from D.C. to North Dakota all the way to Pasadena, California. Okay. So while we're a small and mighty boutique firm here in Kentucky, we mm-hmm. get on planes and travel and work with people all over the country. Okay, so I, I'm curious. In my business, you know, when you've been in it for, for a number of years, you kind of learn what to do and what not to do. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been in some up and downs with these campaigns? Have you always been successful? Or have there been there's some times where, like, it wasn't what you wanted or expected? Well, if our clients are su- aren't successful, we aren't successful. No, I understand that, sure. And so a lot of, so our firm is called Trek Advancement, and we say that we're the Sherpa, we're the guide of the mountain. And when an organization aspires to change and evolve and uh-huh. has a big, bold vision that they're going after, that requires a lot of change. Yeah. And while we bring significant expertise in fundraising and charitable gift planning and endowment building, it's really about helping an organization evolve and change. Okay. And so I wouldn't say there's ever been any failures right. because we're very careful to pace them along very specific milestones. Got it. Sometimes it might take longer. Right. right. Sometimes it might go faster, but a lot of it is making sure that we're pacing them to success. And so the fundamental of what we do is help 
that organization go from here to here and be able to sustain that over the long haul. Okay, so let's let's talk about the foundation then. Have okay. you ever run across an organization that has that is as dynamic as, as the Catholic Education Foundation? Oh, I love this question. So <laughs> I said I'm an activator, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my strength, mm-hmm. my number one strength. And I have to say, usually as an activator, I'm the one pulling people or pushing people, right? Well, if you know Rich, which I know you do, uh-huh. He's usually the one pulling or pushing us. (laughs) He's a a pretty, in in my mind, he's a pretty good activator. I love that. And I love that about uh, not only Rich, but the whole team. They're so committed. They are a dynamic, small, very impactful team. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about Rich as the leader of that team is that he is you know, usually I'm the one saying, come on, we can do this. We can do this. Right. And he's like, oh, no, Kelly, we could do more. We could do that. <laughs> well, that's what a successful leader does, Absolutely. though, right? Absolutely. And I'm sure you've seen that in other organizations as well, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. It's all about leadership. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. having yeah. really solid leadership in yeah. an organization really does make all the difference. Yeah. So, yeah. Rich, have, have, has the foundation used consultants like Trek in the past? You know, when we were formed back in the 90s, mid-90s, there was a kind of a a diocesan-wide campaign to start building the, the original endowment. Uh, and we used a local firm to kind of guide us through that. But since then, no, we really haven't. It's kind of been, again, hand-to-mouth, kind of homemade stuff. And and quite honestly, thanks to our donors, very successful. Oh, yeah. But we needed, again, we've got to think about 10 and 20 years down the road for mm-hmm. this organization. Mm-hmm. How do we sustain what we're doing? How do we grow what we're doing? Right and try to minimize that risk. There's a lot of risk today mm-hmm. in the Catholic Education Foundation. We're so small, Julie and I and uh, Ashley are, are our only fundraisers, if you will. There's only seven yeah. of us in the office. Right. So, right. Uh, and, and we have, I would say, a higher concentration of larger donors mm-hmm. and not enough smaller donors. Mm-hmm. So that there's all kinds of risk associated with that. And Kelly's right. We had to we had to kind of change the way we operate. And I, I would tell you this: we've been working together for three years now. There have been so many different changes in the way we operate. Some subtle, some significant, but it's a different place than it was three years oh, ago. Oh yeah, and and, and I'll, I'll do credit to Brooks and Kelly for sure. Well, that's awesome. All right, so Kelly, like I said, yeah. we've got it. We very we got a very specific title to this one. That's so right. What I want to do is try to give our listeners. Mm-hmm some knowledge here let's drop some knowledge that, okay. so that i know you have because okay. like you said you're a nerd about this so I am. I'm a nerd. all right let me let me start with this question we'll sure. see where it takes us um we're, we're obviously approaching the end of the ca- calendar year mm-hmm. let's talk about the various ways the donors or potential donors mm-hmm. can help grow the mission of the foundation through tax advantage strategies absolutely we are entering the season of giving And most people, if they haven't already, are starting to think about that as you get the end of year appeals, having those conversations with various nonprofits you support. This is a really important time to be thinking about not only the affinity that you have for those organizations, but how you can capitalize or expand your financial capacity to support those organizations. And that's often through tax advantage giving vehicles. Mm -hmm. So the first one I think most people would know about, but it, it always bears repeating, is appreciated securities. So looking at the end of the year, if you have some highly appreciated securities, rather than selling those, paying the capital gains tax, by gifting those directly to CEF or a nonprofit of your choice, you're avoiding that capital gains tax and giving dollar for dollar to the organizations you care about. So fundamentally, that is an important place to start looking as you're planning your end of year giving. 
Rich, does that make sense? Is that yeah, something you had? Yeah, uh, we've had several of them just this week, one today for a pretty large amount of appreciated stock. Uh, and that's that's becoming, as we're growing the organization and we're talking to people about multi-year commitments, for example, we talk to them specifically about, hey, if you've got a portfolio of securities you've had for a while, you've got some really large gains embedded in there. Mm-hmm. Think about starting with that. And, and so that's part of the conversation we use right off the bat, particularly for five and 10 year commitments that okay. we want people to make. Okay. So it's working. Absolutely. Right. And right, it's looking it. at the, it's looking beyond the cash assets. So about 7% of Americans' wealth is held in cash, 93% are non cash assets. Interesting. So the key here is to really, to, when you're talking to donors about their capacity to give, is to make sure. You're not just talking about the 7% cash, okay. but those 93% assets. And this is a great example, and it's a, it's a very simple way to give. Um, in high-income earning years, um, something that donors will often think about is coupling a securities gift, because it has a different uh, percentage that you can take as your deduction, with a cash gift so that you can take the most charitable deduction in those higher income earning years. And it's okay if you max out that one year in your charitable gift and the deduction you can make, because you can carry that forward for five subsequent years on your taxes. Okay. So these are just some strategies to be thinking about as you look at your own financial situation and where the most tax advantage gifts should come from. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that there are limits within yes. within um, the tax code. There are actual limits each year of how much you can deduct for charity, mostly based on your income, certain percentages of your income. And it varies, and the percentages vary between cash and non-cash gifts. So a lot of people don't know about those limits. They may straddle them every once in a while. Uh, so we talk to people about that as well. Now, Kelly, do you do you find that when people sit down with their accountants or maybe even their financial advisors that they get the proper advice here on what to do with these things? Yeah, well, research actually shows the majority of donors get their charitable giving advice from their accountants. From their actual accountants. From their accountants. The majority of high net worth, mm-hmm. there's a study, high net worth mm-hmm. individuals, and the majority of them do get their charitable, um, charitable information, charitable gift planning information from their accountants. Okay. Uh, so sometimes, though, if your accountants aren't bringing some of these issues to your attention, they may just make making assumptions that you don't have any charitable priorities. So sometimes it's important to proactively talk to your advisors about your charitable intentions on an annual basis, but also as you look at your entire estate. So when you say charitable priorities, mm-hmm. talk to me about that a little bit. So is this something that people can take advantage of? So it's not so much, all right, I have, I have this money and I want to do something with it, but I have all this money and I should be doing something with it because it's going to benefit myself. Right. Well, we know, number one, the tax, tax incentives have maybe in the top five reasons why people make charitable gifts. The number one reason is that they were asked and they, have a compelling, they see a compelling need, right? So, but we know tax incentives do play into that kind of assessment. 
And we know this because the tax policy for income tax deductions changed not too long ago, uh, where the standard deduction, those that take the standard deduction in their income taxes aren't really incentivized to give to 501c3 nonprofits because they don't need the charitable deduction. Makes sense. So we're actually seeing the kind of ripple effects on the lower level donors or that that kind of like small level donor in Mm -hmm. our charitable giving and so that might say that they don't they're not receiving a tax advantage so maybe they're not incentivized to give to the traditional types of charities yeah and i would say i would say too even within our own experience the last three years for example the number our revenues have grown every year so our revenues keep climbing but if you look down under the hood there's we have a smaller number of donors today than we did three years ago mm-hmm. and and to kelly's point it's at that lower level it's hundred dollars two hundred fifty dollars five hundred dollars again i think part of that's driven by the change in the tax code yeah. around the standard deduction yeah and that's the lifeblood of nonprofits, really right, right. that loyal consistent twenty five hundred dollar yep. donor that is so critically important to the annual operations of any organization, nonprofit organization. And when those go away over time, that does create a sustainability concern. All right. So, listen, I, I'm, a, I'm in my early 40s. Okay. I have a lot of parents who have kids in private schools and, you know, may have decent jobs or whatever it be. But you look, they look at themselves as, oh, I'm, I, I can't be a donor. I can't do that. I don't make enough money to do that. But really, the answer is they're kind of wrong there, right? Right. The answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. Hey, good <laughs> job. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Well, you know, I think that's a that's a fair point, T, because uh, we're in the same situation, yeah. right? We have kids. We, you know, paying for school, right. paying for all these things. But we know that everything that we're doing maybe for our children's school isn't completely being covered by tuition and fees, that there are subsidies that need to go and support that education or Mm -hmm. allowing other children to have access to the same education. And this is where the idea of every gift counts. If it's $25 or $100, it matters. It matters. It really does. In aggregate, it absolutely matters. And even if you feel your you're pinched because obviously economic factors, inflation is a concern, but really thinking and talking, going back to your conversation about prior or your mention of priorities is, you know, where, where am I seeing, you know, good being done and where Mm -hmm. do I want to continue to invest and further that? That's important. Gotcha. At whatever level you're giving. Yeah. And it's really, we, we, I think do a good job of telling the story in other words if you invest in us what do you get what's the product what's Mm -hmm. the output Mm -hmm. and i've found that to be really effective with any donor Mm -hmm. and for us look and and we need more younger donors at the foundation everybody does right you need people in their 30s and 40s to get started and we we when we meet with folks in that age bracket, we don't ask for big numbers. We don't even go there. We ask them to start with us. Right. A mm-hmm. hundred bucks, yeah. two hundred and fifty yeah. bucks. That's great. Can you do that? Yeah. Because the key, and, and Kelly's taught me this, the key is you got to get people on board the train. Mm-hmm. Get them on the train, and they'll stay on the train. If but you have to, you have to educate them about why they should do this and what the mission is, and we. You know, I've always said since I've been here and before that we, as a foundation, we have this 
we have this great product called Catholic Schools. It's oh, yeah. fantastic, and it's e- that's for me. That's an easy sell, right? I'm a Catholic mm-hmm. school kid myself. Mm-hmm. My kids all went to Catholic school, so mm-hmm. I can sell that product to anybody, whether that's a donor or whether that's a family who's considering going to a Catholic school sure. who can't afford it. It's the sure. same story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's obviously impactful, and I think that goes back to the every gift counts mantra, Absolutely. right? And, and that's uh, trying to get people involved kind of w- at whatever level they can get involved mm-hmm. in. Um, Kelly, is there any other strategies that maybe people should know? Absolutely, and kind of going back to our tax policy changes, uh, many individual donors, 65 and older, which actually makes up for about 70% of the money given in the United States, comes from yep. donors 65 and older. So this is a really important uh, group. In the entire United States? In the entire yeah. United yeah. States. Wow, okay. It's compelling. Right. Yeah. So so this is a group that's as they reach 70 and a half, are getting close to that ability, or if they're in 70 and a half, to unlocking the power of their retirement assets to make gifts now. Okay. So um, right now, if you're 70 and a half, you can use your traditional IRA to make up to $100,000 in gifts to charitable organizations each year. And actually, they just adjusted that number for inflation for 2024, so it's going to be $105,000 okay. a year. And this is really compelling because, remember, we were talking about the changes in the tax policy. Well, many of these folks are retired, and they're no longer taking the you know itemized deduction. They're doing right. the standard deduction. Right. So they don't, again, have that charitable in- deduction incentive. And so they can use this asset make gifts from that custodian directly to their charitable organizations like CEF, and it bypasses their income. They don't get a deduction, but they don't have right. to pay income tax on it, and it goes straight to the organization. This is huge. Yeah, otherwise, if you're, if you're making a monthly draw out of your traditional IRA, that, that goes in your gross income. You're going to pay yeah. tax on that, okay? Mm-hmm. If you can gift it directly to a CEF or another organization directly from your IRA, it never passes through your hands. There is no income tax consequence to you on that. It's the best gift. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's big. Yeah. I mean, do people know about this, or is that kind of like one of these little, little it's, things it's, under the rug? I or? think it's starting to get around. Yes. I think this one, you know, we've only been at it for maybe like eight years, and right. they finally codified it a couple of years ago. But more and we're seeing it pick up across the board. Um, I think people are turning 70 half every day and just being aware that this is the best asset for them to utilize for their giving right now yeah tom peroni at morgan stanley who has lots of clients that are 65 and above right he's told me particularly in the last two years there's been a huge pickup in his book of business for what she's just talking about interesting yeah very so there's a new kind of wrinkle with the secure act 2.0 that just happened at the end of last year related to qualified charitable distributions that hasn't gained as much steam but is starting to as i mentioned I think to your earlier, Wall Street Journal just had an article this summer um, that in Secure Act 2.0, it allows people to take those qualified charitable distributions, so 70 and a half or older, take those $50,000 of those qualified charitable distributions and put them in what we call a life income gift. And the example of that would be a charitable gift annuity. And so effectively, a charitable gift annuity is... I think of it as an endowment that pays you and your spouse while you're living. And at the end of your life, that becomes an endowment for like a CEF. And so that's a relatively new tax policy change that can have tremendous impact for 
financial planning for individuals and their charitable organizations. Yeah, so that's like a charitable remainder trust kind of, right? There's charitable, it can yeah. go to a charitable it's remainder sort of trust like yeah. or a gift annuity. Yeah. So the gift annuity is just an annuity. It's a contract between the donor and the organization. And a remainder trust can be variable or it can be fixed income. And that's just a trust. But you can now, is that 50000 a 50, year that you can take from your IRA, essentially, and put in this separate fund? And receive income. And receive income from that, which is taxable. It is taxable. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you make a distribution later mm-hmm. to the charity. Yeah. Wow. At, at your death, it becomes effectively an endowment for the charity. Uh, this is fascinating stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a world I know nothing about, but it's, it's obviously fascinating stuff. Um, Rich, as we talk about all this and, and we think about all the different ways that our donors can help, right? Um, what are the foundation's ambitions for the new year and how much do we need to grow to fulfill them? Yeah, thanks. Um, we've, you know, we've been on a pretty fast trajectory the last, uh, particularly the last seven years. Um, we've gone from 1,500 kids a year 10 years ago that we were helping to now 3,700. The funding's gone up to $8 million, mm-hmm. both of which are records. Mm-hmm. So this thing's kind of gone like this, okay? And what we what we want to do is we don't want it to flatline, okay? Because what you see in a lot of nonprofits over time, they reach a certain level and then they kind of go like this. Yep. So what are we going to do to keep up this trajectory? So we came up with a plan to ultimately reach and help 5,000 kids a year, all right? So that's almost 50% growth from where we are today. Now, that's going to take a boatload of money, if you think about 1,300 more kids at roughly today's dollars, $2,000 a kid. That's an enormous annual obligation on us. So what we have to do is obviously ramp up annual fund giving, no question about it, but we've got to build the endowment of this organization. That's that's our future. So today, our endowment is around thirty million, which is good, and we draw about a million a year to fund our kids. But based on what we're, the work we're doing now with Kelly over the next five years, we've got multi-million dollar amounts coming into a into the foundation, into the endowment. So that thirty grows to 40, grows to 50. For example, in the first quarter of 24, we've already got commitments for three and a half million more fresh new dollars that are gonna come into the endowment. So the key for us over time is to take that 30 million, and this is, this is our future, take that 30 million and make it 100. So that each year we can draw 4 million from the endowment to help our kids rather than one. And it can sustain itself over a long period of time. That, that is our future. One of the ways that we're going to get there is through plain giving. Mm-hmm. So we've already gotten, I think we're almost at 20 million of planned giving commitments mm-hmm. that we've obtained in the last three years. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't know when it's going to come in, uh, but ultimately it will. And that, so that making that investment with our donors today over time creates an organization that can sustain itself help 5,000 kids. And by the way, the next ambition is to go into the high schools, okay? So the, right now we do K through eight in yeah. 39 elementary schools. That's there's so nine, important. yeah, and there's, but there's nine high schools out there with mm-hmm. 6,000 students in them. And the, what we see more and more is that families we support through grade school, they can't make the jump. 
Yeah. The, the price goes it's a up. Big jump. Mm-hmm. It's a big jump. The price goes up, and sometimes the high schools can get it done, but sometimes they can't. Mm-hmm. And the, the the schools that have less fundraising capabilities, mm-hmm. what we ultimately want to do is come in and kind of fill the gap. Here's an example: Holy Cross High School tuition's fourteen thousand dollars. Okay. The school can come up with, I'm making the numbers up, the school can come up with 6000 Okay. The family can pay four. That's all they can pay. So we're at 10000 So there's a four thousand. Typically the gap's three to $5,000. Right. What's the typical gap? Nobody's there to fund the gap yeah, right now. No, nobody's there to fill that gap. So, so the kid can't really go to Holy Cross in that case, mm-hmm. can't go to DeSales, mm-hmm. can't go to Prez, whatever. We see it kind of across the board. Mm-hmm. So I think strategically what we want to do is take our kids who are in the eighth grade, kind of journey with them forward into high school and f- work with the high schools, obviously, to figure out, okay, where are the gaps? Yeah. And be able to fund those gaps for that kid for the next four years. And in that way, I mean, that, that's like a grand slam because that kid got to go through K through eight with us and with our funding partners and go to high a Catholic high school with the high school and us. I mean, it's 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 the perfect journey sure. for any young kid. And then we we've always had a hole in our strategy over the years, in that we had to focus on the grade schools. Right. But now it's it's time to expand beyond it. And that's so that's those are our, those are those are our big drivers going forward. Kelly, I know your wheels are turning there. How do we do this? How do you how do we get this thing to hundred million? Well, like Rich said the big thing, the way we build endowments is really through those deferred gifts. The biggest yep. gifts come through those deferred gifts. So people using their retirement plans as a testamentary gift or life insurance as a testamentary gift or their estate, anything from their estate as a testamentary gift. That's that's what moves the needle. Oh yeah. And endowment is truly the gift that keeps on giving oh, in yeah. perpetuity. So one of the things we have to look at are those that are really supporting CF on an annual basis and what that would require of an endowment to sustain it, not just for the next five years, but for the next 50. Oh, yeah. And that, that's what it's going to take. And it's going to take everyone thinking it's not just the now, but it's the later. And what's that legacy look like for each donor? Yeah. And again, we've we've done thanks. Thanks be to God and our donors. We've done a nice, a nice job of annual fundraising mm-hmm. and we, that's what we had to do but yep. now we got to do that plus some right. and the plus some will build up an endowment that it'll reach a hundred million bucks we're gonna do it well under rich's watch i think anything's capable <laughs> <but>. right <laughs> kelly thank you thank you for teaming up with rich and, and julie and the rest of the foundation team to create more opportunities for young students and to gain access to the greatest educational experience ever catholic education Thank you for being here, Kelly. This was this was awesome. I think our listeners will get a lot out of this. Thanks, thanks, Teague. Thanks, Rich. Yeah, Happy to be here. You did a great job, and thank you for your partnership <laughs> and your friendship. Yeah. Thank you, Rich. As we head into the end of the year, what's your favorite holiday greeting that means the most <laughs> to those we serve? The answer is yes. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back next month for episode number twenty-five.